Thank you, LVO. Love that song. Love it. Uh, little fun fact, Elvio Fernandez of the Daughtry Band and, of course, Camp Rockstar in uh, Rochester, he does that. You can actually hire him to create a custom song for you. I'm not going to say how much it costs because I don't know the uh, the ins and outs of how he charges. I know what I paid. No, he didn't do it as a favor. I would never have expected him to. Um, of course, I paid for it, but I'm, I'm not going to... Not gonna say exactly how much, but it was moderate. It was affordable. I was I was um I was pleasantly surprised, I should say. Love it. Absolutely love that song. He said to me, he goes, What are you what are you hearing? You know, if it if it could be a real song, what would it be? And I sent him two. I said, um, Nirvana smells like teen spirit meets white zombie more human than human. And he came up with that, and that's funny. When I say those two songs, if you're familiar with them, you probably could have heard it in that song there. That was, uh, yeah, Salvio Fernandez, thank you for the start there. I appreciate it. This is podcast episode number two. My original plan for the order in which I was going to put out these episodes got completely shot to shit. Uh, It was originally going to be episode one. I talked about my radio career, episode two. I talked about my future career, and uh, instead, that's what episode one ended up being, me and Tony Perry, the guy who who I bought the business from, uh, and then episode three and beyond. I, I will tell you, I do know on episode three, though, that I'm going to have these, these, um, these people who founded a company here in Rochester called Curated Love. They do pop-up weddings, which is interesting. Uh, the wedding industry obviously being shook like everything else by the pandemic, but in general, the pop-up wedding idea, so basically once a quarter or so, they they do a wedding. They create a wedding, and then you can buy into it. You can show up and bring your however many people you want to bring, uh, you know, depending on the price you pay. And I don't know. They'll give us all the details on the next episode. But uh, interesting, interesting stories. And stories like that are what I, I see this podcast truly becoming, probably starting with the next episode. I think this is the... Um, Maybe not the only time you'll ever hear me monologue, but it, I'm trying to keep it rare. I, I don't want this podcast just to be me talking. Maybe we'll do some Q&A or some AMAs, some Ask Me Anythings, and, and that could just be me. But for the most part, I want to I want to get interesting Rochester stories and tell those on this podcast. Um, and one of those stories might might honestly even be my own. And, and I don't I don't mean to sound like a jerk saying like my story's interesting. It's it's not that my story is interesting. Excuse me, let me take a sip of coffee. It's not that my story is interesting. It's that I think it's interesting that someone could blow up a career that they had really invested a lot into. Um, and that was me. I was 15 years in the radio business. And honestly, 14 of those years, I would have told you that there was no way I was going to leave the radio business for 14 out of those 15 years. That's what I would have said. I, so what led to it? Well, I'm going to tell you, I think it. I think I can break it down into four major moments. And there is one thing I have to warn you about. There's a little bit of yada yada when it comes to step four, because I don't officially really truly have uh, my lawyer's uh, uh, permission yet to dive deep into that step. Uh, I can't really talk about why or why not, but I will tell you, you know, maybe maybe what'll happen if when we get to it, you'll understand why, I think, because I'm going to do a little yada, 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 <laughs> where you're like, wait, it sounds like there's more to that story. But um, 
Now, I'm going to do a little yada, yada, yada on this particular episode, and then I think if you check this podcast feed going forward, one day you're going to see, hopefully sooner than later, you're going to see me post an episode that says something like, yada, yada, (laughs) and you're going to know that it's me finally being able to go back and tell that story. I'm just waiting for some stuff to happen before I can actually tell the story of step four. I'll still give you a vague idea of it in this podcast, so I'm not just going to leave it blank. But you'll see when we get there. Anyway, let's start with step one. So how do you blow up a radio career? First of all, it was a radio career that wasn't even really supposed to happen. It was um, I was in college, and I was at John Carroll University, and I was a psychology major. And I didn't even think for a second about going into radio. In fact, I'm not like those kids that was that was, you know, listening to the radio when I was a kid and just loving it. My dad was that guy. My dad listened to the radio. My grandfather, Grandpa, uh, Sauce, Grandpa, Pete Guglielmo, he was the guy who listened to the radio. I was not the guy. I liked music. I was listening to pop, Top 40 Radio, Star 104 out of Erie, Pennsylvania was my station. If I was close enough to Cleveland, we would listen to uh, whatever the pop station at the time was. I mean, it was... That was me, you know, that was, I was not the guy listening to talk radio and loving it like most radio personalities were. My dad, because he loved radio so much, started to do a little volunteering, being that we're from this small little rural town, he started to do a little volunteering uh, for this radio station in town called 1360 AM, which I always thought was incredible that this little town in Ohio had a, a radio station with the call letters WWOW. Feels like some station somewhere in a bigger city would have bought them out of that of those call letters because those call letters are just fantastic in <laughs> WWOW. But anyway, <clears throat> so my dad loved radio. He started volunteering at this little radio station and he used to listen to it all the time. And, and like on Saturdays they'd have Swap Shop and Bullpen with Ken Vaughn and I remember my dad uh, would have me call into the bullpen, which was basically sports talk, and he would, you know, give me, we'd write down like a little bit of a spiel for me to do, and I would literally like take the corded phone into the closet with the the little sheet of paper that said what I was supposed to talk about, and I would call into the radio station with what my dad wanted me to call in about, and um, and I was petrified. I was scared to do it. In fact, a few years later when I was in college, I think I was probably a freshman uh, maybe, a, yeah, I think I was probably a freshman in college. My dad uh, started at that point, he was volunteering at this radio station, really, truly volunteering, not being paid, but he would be the play-by-play guy for the um, basketball games, like the high school basketball games. And we had this, uh, he, he had asked me one time if I would come in and keep statistics for him. And all I had to do was keep the stats, points, rebounds. I didn't even have to do assists. It wasn't even that hard. It was just like points and rebounds. And, um, and I could do that. I could keep stats, but the big thing was at halftime, he was going to go to me and at halftime I had to read the stats live on the air. And I'm not that young. I'm like 19 years old at this point. Three years later, I'd be working full time in radio, but at 19 years old, I was petrified, just scared out of my mind to read the statistics on the air. It's unbelievable how far I eventually came with the, in, in regards to that. Um, got a job at this little radio station in Ashtabula. This part of the story I'll kind of yada yada over because you've heard this probably before. This is nothing new. Uh, worked in Ashtabula, found out that Clear Channel Radio was selling the station I worked at in Ashtabula. 
Um, th- this was all because I ended up getting involved in the college radio station because I wanted to play rap music. Uh, I started editing out curse words from rap songs, and that was how I got to know the editing software. And knowing the editing software basically got me hired in the first place because they saw me as someone who could do production for them, which was a big thing. Most kids, they apply, they want to do a radio show. I wanted to do a radio show, but I also knew how to make commercials and edit things together, and they liked that, so I got the job. They eventually say they're going to tra- they're going to sell these radio stations. I'm going to transfer to Rochester, New York. I said what anyone in Ohio at that time would say, and that is, New York City sounds great. <laughs> Turns out this is not New York City. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and uh, and I was off to Rochester. Get to Rochester and uh, spend the first couple of years working in just top forty radio. Uh, working for what was it, one hundred six seven Kiss FM at the time, and. Uh, eventually became Kiss 1067. I worked for a guy named E-Man. E-Man was tough to work for. Uh, I I I really I want to catch up with him at some point and try to sort of make amends with E-Man. He was a tough guy. He was hard, man. He was a guy who uh, credit the guy. He worked his ass off, and he wanted nothing but success for everyone, for him and everyone around him. But he could be real tough. Um, but I did it for a couple of years. And I'll tell you, it, I was a kid who already didn't have a ton going for me in terms of self-esteem, self-confidence. Um, it, it was, I, you know, I was already, and I just want to point this out, I was already kind of entrepreneurial because in the time that I was working back in Ashtabula, I started two businesses. Neither one of them were legit, by the way. <laughs> I started one business. We had this summer basketball league. And it was uh, it was Township Park Summer League, and it was run by the high school basketball coach. And one year, like 10 years in, this would have been when I was about 22 probably, he just decides he's not going to do it this year. He just says, look, it's not, uh, it, it's not happening this year. Uh, we're hanging it up. No more league. And everyone goes, oh, no, did you hear there's not going to be a league this year? And that was the first time I realized how entrepreneurial I was because my – my brain ticked, and I went, "Wait, why aren't we having it? There's a park right there. I got a basketball. We can have a league. I got a look. I got a clipboard with a paper on it. I'll, I'll, I'll organize the league." And I did. I organized an entire basketball league at that park, and I didn't do any of it the right way. Uh, we did. We did not register ourselves with anybody. We just started doing it. We had no insurance. We uh, we didn't even ask the park's permission. So, like the second night of our league there. Uh, the lawyer who represents that park comes down to pay me a little visit and he's pretty, you know, he talks to me nicely, but he basically tells me, he goes like, you don't have permission to be here. You don't have a certificate of insurance. What are you doing? You're going to, you're going to get your, your ass suit off here. And if it's not by this park, it's going to be by one of these guys playing basketball. It's going to fall down, break their arm and sue you. And he scared the crap out of me. And because at that time it was a for-profit venture, I had figured out how to make a little profit. We had about 100 guys in the league. Uh, I had T-shirts made for them. The cost on the T-shirts was like 10 bucks, and I charged everyone 20 bucks to be in the league. So I was making you know 10 bucks per guy for 100 guys. It was a nice little paycheck to show up twice a week and stand around with a clipboard at a basketball league and answer questions, right? So um, he scares the shit out of me. I eventually figure out something that probably really angered him and angered the the park because I figured out sort of a workaround that was somewhat brilliant, but I'm not going to take credit for having been brilliant because I didn't realize this. But basically, I went to the church nearby and asked if I could donate all the money to them. 
So I'll take all the money I was planning on just pocketing and I'll give them the money. And that got out then. They they like publicized that this basketball league was going to give them money. And the park never bothered me again because now all of a sudden it was going to look really bad if they shut down this church basketball league. And so it just it just carried on. And uh, I don't know. I don't whatever. I, so that was one business I had started. This is again, this is before Rochester. Second business I started was a wedding DJ business. And this was completely all under the table. The only thing I did in this case was I got insurance, but the insurance I got was to cover myself. I got my ins- I got insurance to cover my equipment if anything ever happened to it. Because anybody out there knows, everyone's favorite thing to do, at least back in the day, at a DJ booth or a DJ table, is to walk up to the DJ booth, set their drink down, and start talking to the DJ. Setting down the drink being the, the caveat here. The setting down the drink was something that will drive any DJ crazy because you set down that drink and all I can see is that this drink is probably going to get spilled all over my crap. So I started the little wedding DJ business. I did well for a couple of years and I actually ended up selling the DJ equipment sort of to get the money to move to Rochester. I mean, I sold it for like 2000 bucks and that was what I used just to move up here and uh, get a, get an apartment for the first time. And so anyway, back to working a couple of years under E-Man, tough dude to work for. Then all of a sudden the company announces Brother Weeze is coming over to uh, to uh, iHeart, to iHeart Media. He had worked across the street prior to that. And I didn't know Brother Weeze. I'll admit I was a bad student of radio. Like I told you, I was not even a student of radio. I was just a uh, I was just a fan. I loved, by that time, by the time I had started doing college radio and by the time I had started doing radio and Ashtabula, I started to like radio and I was listening to Howard Stern every day and you know they told me oh brother Weez, he's this is what people say and I know he doesn't like this but this is what people would say they would say oh he's the he's the Howard Stern of Rochester at least back then right and so he came over to visit for his first time after they announced that he was coming over to uh, Clear Channel and I just fell in love with the guy I thought it was so cool he was this old dude with tattoos who cursed a lot and had like a scruffy voice. I mean, he was my grandfather. That's exactly the guy my grandpa was. My grandpa, minus the tattoos, but my grandpa was this loud, ultra-liberal, politically guy who just could get along with everyone, had a, had a conversation with everybody he saw. He, it, that was what I was seeing out of Weez, and I was just immediately attracted to that. And I wasn't having fun working for E-Man. I wasn't having fun working on the pop music station. And I asked if I could be part of the Weez show. And I was told, no, uh, no, they've already got a team assembled. Sorry, we did this whole thing stealth. Um, so he's been hired, and we've already hired the entire team. And I'm like, oh, God. So I ask if I can be backup, like a backup co-host. And they say, no, you cannot. You, uh, you, you, you know, you, you have no, we have no reason to believe you belong in that room. There's no proof you're any good at this. No. Can I be the backup producer? No. Okay, can I be the backup phone screener? Come on, how bad could I be at phone screening? And finally, I get a yes. And luckily, the girl who was phone screening for Weez right off the bat was a girl who had a, a little kid at home. And so she ended up missing a lot of days, actually. So the idea was I would go in if she was sick or on vacation. And I ended up, in those first few months there, I ended up working with Weez probably like 10 or 10 to 15 times just because, you know, she was missing a lot of work. So Weez would, you know, I would I would try and pitch these segments to Weez and he would always like the idea and then the one thing I did was I followed through if I pitched a segment I would then I would go out and 
Um, like the first segment I ever pitched to Weez was this thing called Drunk Girl Trivia, which was basically Jay Leno's jaywalking, which I'm sure he didn't even invent. But Jay Leno's jaywalking, except I was going to do it at a nightclub, and I was going to purposely try to target inebriated people. And I would ask them very simple questions, and it turns out people don't know things. And if you ask people, like, which is North and which is South Canada and Mexico, eventually if you keep asking, you're going to find someone who li- literally doesn't know the answer to that question. And so I did that. I, I would put that together. And I think he was impressed with the fact that I would follow through on these ideas, bring them to the air. We'd get a good laugh out of them. Um, and then the other thing is he would occasionally turn to me on the air and ask me questions or talk to me, and I would talk back to him. And I think I benefited from the fact that I didn't know him prior. I think a lot of people look at him as a legend, and he is. They should. They should look at Weez as a legend. But to me, I was new to town. I was new to him. I didn't know to look at him as a legend. And that was that actually helped, I think. It helped my ability to be cool and calm and collected in front of him. And so uh, eventually some shuffling happened there. I ended up working for Weez. And, you know, it was it was fine. When you get onto the big stage, you get a spotlight on you. And everything you do is scrutinized. And so I started to lack over the next few years confidence, self-esteem. As I told you, I already wasn't doing well with these things. My experience prior to working with Wheeze didn't exactly help me on those things as well. Sorry, a little sip of coffee there. So... I'm lacking self-esteem. I'm lacking self-confidence. I'm looking for some validation. And this is where we finally come to step one. In late 2013, I decide, you know, I love radio. I want to keep doing radio. My goal is to have my own radio show. But I need need some validation here. I'm the low man on the totem pole around here. Uh, I need to go out and have something of my own. I, I always felt like if I was able to create a vision that I was really good at not only creating, but following through and executing a vision, creating and executing a vision. I always felt like I could do that. And I just felt like I wasn't always being allowed to do that. And it's not Weez's fault or anything. It's just it's just the nature of being the low man on the totem pole. Um, so... Basically, what happened next was that's when the pasta sauce business came in. So I think when you say step one, you have to look at 2014 and you have to call it step one. The first step towards me leaving radio had to be that. It had to be then. It had to be that me starting the sauce business. Um, it Because, and again, I would have never in a million years in 2014, I would have never told you that I wanted to leave radio. But I started the sauce business, I created a vision, I executed it, and we were moderately successful. Uh, we, we made up, you know, we made a little mo- bit of money. I took this little tiny little company and I got it into the black within just a few months. And, and I thought to myself, I thought, see, I, yes, yes, see, I, if, I'm, if I'm allowed to be in charge, things, I can make things happen. Um, and when I say I'm allowed to be in charge, I don't want people to mishear this. Never in a million years did I think I should be sitting in Weez's chair. Even in even the last moment that I worked for Weez, I didn't think I belonged in his chair. I don't want you to mishear that. I'm just saying if I'm allowed to have and execute ideas, I feel like I can do it. And this was my validation. This was step one. This was 2014, and it was definitely me gaining the confidence and knowing, like, no, you're not crazy, Polly. You are actually decent at creating and executing ideas. Uh, 
it's just you're not always allowed to is all and so that was basically what was what was happening there um and i you know and and, and again i it's it's hard for me to say this because I don't want you to picture things in your head and create your own visions of what I'm trying to say when I say this. It had nothing to do with the actual people involved. This was just the nature of being the kid. Remember, I'm 25 at this time. Or I guess I would have been 25. No, I was more like 26. I'm like 26, and I'm around a lot of people who have been doing this a very long time. Of course I was the low man on the totem pole and of course my my you know visions weren't always being allowed to be executed of course I it, it's not even all that wrong that that was what was happening it was just destroying my self-esteem and I needed some validation and so again that's step one step two I'm actually gonna fast forward a few years to 2018 in 2018 I actually started started to see the sauce business make a little bit of money and seeing the sauce business make a little bit of money was it it gave me a rush you know it gave me a high that I wasn't getting doing radio was having seen this not only having seen this vision come to fruition but having seen it truly be successful that was incredible and in 2018, it was the first time that I actually looked at what we did from a financial standpoint in the sauce business, and I realized if I had to live on that, I could. It wasn't a great living. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we were making a ton of money, but we made enough money that I looked at that and I went, you know what? I mean, I could, I could live on that if I had to. And at the time, and again, I want to stress to you, at the time, if you had asked me, oh, Paul, are you planning to leave radio? I still would have told you absolutely no way. My goal is I'm in radio. I want to do my own radio show one day. And this is as, this is as late as 2018. So in 2018, I make a couple business decisions. We make a little bit of money. Instead of pocketing that money, I, I reinvest into the company. We buy a delivery truck. We hire a delivery guy. Uh, I hire an events team. Remember, from 2014 until 2018, our events team was me and my wife. I, we would do a, a festival or something. You know, it was a, a long weekend of, of running our festival booth. It was me almost the whole time, and then and then my my lovely wife would come and give me like a two hour break in the middle of the day somewhere. But it was just us. And same thing with deliveries. Every day I was leaving the radio station, and I was driving around and literally delivering sauce out of my trunk. For years. I mean, I did that for years. For four years, I did that completely by myself. So in 2018, we made a little bit of money. And and by the way, I think it was really good that I did all that stuff by myself. I think it was actually a really good thing for the growth of the business that I spent so much time doing every single bit of the grunt work. Because now I feel like a better leader when I'm asking other people to do grunt work. I truly understand what the grunt work is. And I just, I just think that there's a respect you get from your people when they have a leader who is also in the trenches with them doing the grunt work. And so I, I don't mind the fact that it took me that long to get to the point where I didn't have to do that stuff anymore. <clears throat> anyway, 2018, this step two, really what happened was we saw the success with the business and I reinvested. So I would say step two, if I call it anything, I would call it reinvest. So I had this idea, I brought it to fruition Step one, validation. Step two, reinvestment. S- being validated and reinvesting in that validation 
And then in 2019, we're going to break this into two. Step three happened, I would say, the first half of the year 2019. And step four was the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. But step three, really the beginning of 2019 was I immediately started to see the positive effects of having reinvested into the company. Uh, buying that delivery truck, hiring the delivery driver, hiring the, the the demo people. I started to see our company grow because we had more hands on deck. And that was exhilarating. That was the best feeling in the world. And at the same time, at the radio station, I was starting to get the opportunity to do what they call fill-in work, which means if somebody's on vacation, I fill in. So Brother Weeze goes on vacation, I, I fill in. If Bob Lonsberry goes on vacation, I fill in. Carl Falk, Bob Matthews at the time, whoever was working there. By the way, happy retirement to Bob Matthews. How about that? That's awesome. I had a couple people, because I just left radio a week ago. I had a couple people that I who I used to work with text me to say, hey, did you see Bob Matthews retired? Um, would you come back if if they offered you that two-hour time slot? And I, I actually said no. I couldn't. I wouldn't. I, I didn't leave radio on a whim. It was a long time coming. One tiny little change wasn't going to change that. Uh, but anyway, congratulations to Bob Matthews. He was he. I'll tell you the truth. I'm going to try and get him on this podcast. He was kind of moping around there the last I remember because he was just you know, and I think he talks about this, but he had been diagnosed with diabetes and the coronavirus was hitting him hard. Not only because there were no sports to talk about, but also he knew he was high risk, and and so he ended up hanging him up. But he had a great career, and congratulations to Bob Matthews because that's awesome. Anyway, um. So I get the chance to do a little bit of fill-in work, and and I like it a lot. Don't get me wrong. I like it a lot. It, it's cool. It's great. I loved being on the radio. I loved connecting with people, and I loved hosting shows. I thought that was fantastic. But I realized that the, the, the exhilaration, the high, the attractive, uh, what do you call it, the uh, – uh, is it, is it um, you know, the happy – what am I trying to say? Is it the endorphins? Is that what I'm trying to say? Whatever the chemical is that fires in your brain that says, happy, happy, happy. They were being triggered more by the entrepreneurship, by the business. And when I was on the radio, it was fine, but it felt formulaic. It felt like to do good radio, you had to come in with you know the day's hot topics, and you had to be opinionated regarding the hot topics. And you had to talk to guests who were connected to the hot topics. And you just had to do that over and over and over and over and over. It started to feel a little repetitive. The subject matter would change, but in general, the the job was repetitive. And I was starting to get a little burned on that. Meanwhile, I was loving, loving entrepreneurship and business, different every day. You know, you're, you're really blazing your own trail there as you go. So early 2019, I would call realization. Early 2019, if you had asked me what I wanted to do long-term, radio or sauce, I would have told you radio, and I would have thought in my head, am I lying to this person right now? Do I need to be more honest with myself? I think I'm loving sauce more than radio these days, but I had so much time invested into the radio career that I just couldn't do it yet. In early 2019, I'm moping, kind of moping around myself a little bit because I just had 14 at that time, 14 years invested in the radio business, 14 years. And I'm, and I'm going, 
yeah, I'm liking sauce better, but I can do both. Look, I, I can I can do both. And I've invested 14 years into radio, and the last thing I'm going to do is give up those 14 years. And then, step four, God intervenes. And unfortunately, this is where I have to yada, yada, yada over a couple of things. But God intervenes, and a few things happen. I know, I'm sorry, I hate that I'm being as vague as I am as well, but hopefully I'll be able to talk more in depth sometime in the future. But basically a few things happen, and um, I start to see signs left and right that sauce is where I truly belong. It's kind of like this. This is how I used to describe it to people. People would say, what's it going to be long-term, radio or sauce? And believe it or not, I got asked that all the time. And I would say, you know, I feel like I have two pots on the stove, and they're both simmering. And one day, one of these pots is going to come to a boil, and it's going to be obvious to me that I need to dump all the pasta into that pot. And let's just say step four was a combination of one of those pots coming to a boil, and the other one, the water just stopped moving at all. The simmer came down to just a cool, calm, still film of water. And those both happened at the exact same time. And I looked up to the heavens and I said, God, I get it. I see what you're trying to tell me. And that was Thursday, January 30th, 2020. Well, actually, it was a little bit before that, but on Thursday, January, Thursday, January 30th, 2020. Because before that, probably early January or so, I had actually reached out to about a dozen business colleagues, just people who I trusted. They were kind of people I would say I would best describe as people I always knew that if I needed, you know, true, honest to God, gut check business advice, I could call these people. And I'm not going to name the people because um, I don't want it to sound like I'm name dropping, but I called, you know, some people you've heard of running businesses you've heard of with buildings that have their names on them. And, uh, and I just asked for meetings and they were all there for me. And I kind of laid it out. We, we did all these meetings, very confidential, very stealth, very much so that no one could see us. So we would never get back to anyone that we had met, you know, just in case, what could they possibly be talking about? And I just laid it out for them. I just told them, you know, I think I'm done with radio. And I think I want to figure out a way to go full time in the sauce business. And I think the way to do that is to become the manufacturer. And I think there's two ways to do that, and that is to either build my own manufacturing facility or find somebody who wants to partner with me who's already down this route and see if they just want to join teams, join forces. And I kind of found both. It occurred to me, I was talking about one guy, Tony Perry, the guy who you heard me interview in the first episode. Tony Perry had a brand new building that he just finished building and he had a business manufacturing sauce and on top of that he was a little older he was a little slower and by the way I've been working with him all week now he's not that old and he's not that slow the guy's got a shit ton of energy that guy is moving that guy's got a good engine in him because that guy is definitely still busting his ass every day and it has been awesome to see that and work with him this week but anyway you know I looked at him and I thought I thought maybe that's a guy 
who would hear me out if I made him an offer. And that's Thursday, January 30th. That's when I made that excuse to go and visit him at his factory when I knew he was the only one there, pretending I needed to pick up sauce, but in reality, I asked him a question. He said, Tony, what's your plan? He said, I don't know. Do this for a couple more years and figure out a way to retire. And I said, would you hear an offer? And he said, yes. And the rest was history. That's a wrap on episode number two. Next episode, I do believe we're going to finally get into what I what I see as being the actual format of this show. First couple shows may be a bit of a mess. Uh, in fact, next episode at the beginning, I'll share with you something about that first episode that I wasn't sure I was going to share, but I, I will tell you. And then this obviously would just me talking to myself. Next episode, two ladies who started a pop-up wedding business in Rochester during a pandemic. I think you're going to find it interesting next time on the Polly Guglielmo Show. Thank you for listening.